This is the second of the royal psalms that I wanted to deal with this month. And last week we looked at Psalm number 2, where we saw that powerful imagery of a world in rebellion against its king. I know we were all this week uh, aware of the news of the passing of Queen Elizabeth. And uh, I, I've never been, uh, you know, too much. I, I like the history stuff. I like to go back there. And uh, Winston Churchill's one of my favorite guys, you know, who's just, uh, just such a character. Not a perfect man, but a man for the right time at the right place. And I go back to the early days of her, uh, of, of when she became queen and how much the world changed on her watch. I was just talking about this uh, Friday with somebody. That the, you know, the world, the way the world was when she became queen, was was very different. You know, the the British Empire itself, you know, was very different. All, uh, you know, all the world that we live in. I, the statistic I saw was that I think eighty percent of the people alive today uh, were born during her reign. That's that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> 80% of the world, she's the only queen of England that they've ever known. Okay. Amen, hallelujah. But and, and from what I understand, I don't know, again, these things you go by what people report. But uh, what has been reported is that she was, a, a in her own way, a very committed Christian and follower of Christ. Now, I know the Anglican tradition is is, is not our tradition, uh, but I'm not going to pass judgment on that. If she professed faith, she professed faith. And uh, I, I saw one quote that was attributed to her when she heard a, uh, uh, I guess in her private chapel service, they were the, the minister was talking about the coming of the Lord, and he said she got so excited. And she said, I, I hope he comes in my lifetime. And he asked her, why is that? And she said, so I can lay my crown at his feet. And I thought that was a beautiful way to uh, to speak of how, where her spirit was. Uh, that she saw herself in duty, she saw her duties as queen, as, as being uh, a continuation of the authority of the king of glory. But we know that that is not the case with most. That uh, many of those who lead in this world are in open rebellion against the king. And uh, we saw that in Psalm 2 this week. And as we move to Psalm 24, we're going to talk a little bit more about that king's dominion. There's a mentality that uh, uh, is, is expressed in a lot of different ways, and you can apply it to a lot of different uh, avenues, but today I'm going to apply it to this idea of what concerns the king's dominion. We have a mentality, especially here in the West, America is notorious for the separation of church and state. And I understand the need for that. Believe me, I'm not one who's advocating uh, to put the general overseer in the White House. That's not, that's not the, the scenario that I want to... That I'm, uh, He might make a good president. I don't know, but that's not what I'm advocating. But this idea that there is a sacred and a secular, that there's things that are the Lord's business and things that are not the Lord's business... I want to challenge that idea today. The Bible says here in 24, 2, uh, 24 verse 1 that the earth is the Lord and all of its fullness. 
Everything that is in the world and everything that dwells in the world is under the dominion of the king. There is no part of this world, even though they may be in rebellion, even though they may be disobedient, even though they may be, you know, we, we've seen that happen. You know, we uh, uh, in the United States, I get, I, I get, I, I laugh a little bit that uh, what we celebrate as uh, Independence Day, you know, Fourth of July, and England is celebrated as Treason Day, right? It's, it's the day, it's the day we committed treason against our King. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, and, and I know there's a, you know, it's all a matter of perspective, is it not? It's a matter of perspective. If you're on one side, it's, it's a good thing. If you're on the other side, it's not a good thing. But, uh, you know, we come from, we in America, we come from a long line of rebels. <laughs> we, we're always rebelling against something. And everywhere around the world you see people rebelling against something. And sometimes it's a necessary rebellion. If a government or an authority, a dictator, a tyrant, uh, uh, it goes is no longer uh, serving the good of his people. There should be a rebellion of some sort to set things right. But uh, in the kingdom of God, all rebellions are evil, all rebellions are wicked, and all rebellions will be put down because every aspect of this world and everything in it belongs to the King. I want you to understand that this morning. Every aspect of your life, everything you do in our, in our Sunday school time, we were talking about marriage and we didn't go too deeply into it for time, but uh, uh, when we take our vows in marriage, we take them before God. God has a stake in our marriage. He has a stake in how we raise our children. He has a stake in how we, uh, uh, we make our living. He has a stake in what we do. There is no part of our life that is independent of the king's dominion. We have to consider the king's authority in every aspect of every day that we live in. All things belong to him. The earth is the Lord's. It is his, it says, by right of creation. He made it, he established it, and he sustains it. If he were to one moment, for one moment, to withdraw his power, the world and everything that was in it. You know, I, I, every once in a while I get in one of those moods, I like to watch one of those big disaster movies. You know what I'm talking about? Where the world is literally ending, where the, an asteroid is headed, you know, or, 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 or some great global catastrophe is headed. And, and you know, they do, the, they do the special effects of these, on these shows so well. You see, you see the whole, uh, whether it's a city or whether it's a continent or whatever, just kind of, just kind of dissolving into pieces or burning uh, or, or whatever is happening to it. But we cannot even imagine the disaster that would befall this world if the Lord for one second were to turn off His power and withdraw His presence from this world. This world owes His, owes Him its allegiance, not just because He made it, but because He sustains it. Amen. As we owe our allegiance to our mothers and our fathers, because they brought us into this world and they took care of us when we could not take care of ourselves, we owe an allegiance to the One who cares for us. 
Consider the miracle of breathing. Oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen. These things none of us could make. If you had today to go home and prepare the next uh, uh, 30 liters or 30 gallons of air that you would breathe, what would you do? How could you make it? How could you make the water that you need to drink? How could you make the food that you need to eat? How could you, if you had to, how could you keep your own heart beating, your own brain functioning? We are the Lord's because He makes us and because He sustains us. We owe Him at least. It is very disobedient. It is the height of rebellion to say that God has no business and no authority over my body. I know some want to believe that. Some want to believe that the, uh, a person has total autonomy over their own body. Amen. They want to argue that it's my body, my business. You see that. You hear that phrase. But your body is not yours. You had no part in making it. And you have a very little part in keeping it alive. Everything you need to survive, everything you need to exist, is provided for you by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of your Creator. So when we claim, when we make this claim that the earth is the Lord's and all who dwell in it belong to Him, we see that it is totally reasonable and right that He should expect from those He has created and those He sustains some allegiance. We see it as the height of disrespect and ingratitude to fail to render what is due to our Creator as our King, as our Lord, as the supreme governor and the supreme authority of all that exists being uh, made by His hand and sustained by His power. The King's dominion is endless. There is no aspect of life, no aspect of creation. You know, I like this new telescope they've got that can apparently, they say, look back almost to the dawn of creation itself. I hope they get a picture of it. I'd like to see what happened when he said, let there be light. If somebody can get a picture of that for me, I'm going to blow it up and I'm going to frame it in my house. What a magnificent moment that should have been, that, that, that was. And I would love to celebrate it. I'd love just to look at it and say, God, you're something else. Lord, you're something else. But if we were to go back, if we were to travel billions of light years across this universe or stumble into a universe of a different order, we would still be in the dominion of the king. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I descend into hell and hide my soul in the grave, you are there. Everywhere we go, human race may one day colonize those galaxies and planets. I hope we do. I would like to get on a, a one of those transporter beams from Star Trek and 
I'm not so crazy about getting scrambled up, but uh, uh, if they could put me on a different I'd like to take a tour. You know how people like to take tours these days, get on a cruise ship or take a tour over to the Holy Land or someplace like that. I'd like to take a, door, a tour of Andromeda or, or some other galaxy. That'd be, that'd be interesting. I'd, be, I'd marvel at creation. But no matter how far we go, whither shall I go from thy presence? Where can I go? How long, how far can I travel? There's no way to get beyond the king's dominion. There's no way to beyond the king's realm. Everywhere you go belongs to him. Go to the deepest heart of Africa, and that is his property. Go to the highest mountain of Asia, climb the Himalayas, set foot on top of Mount Everest itself, and you have but entered in once again to the king's realm. Go to the bottom of the ocean floor. Get down there next to the Titanic. And swim around and see all those, all that gilded, golden, glorious uh, uh, material that's food for fish and, and habitats for uh, uh, oceanic creatures. And you are still under the realm of the king. There's nowhere to go. That doesn't belong to him. There's no part of your life, private or public, however long you live, wherever you live, Whoever you live with, whatever you do with your life, it's under His authority, His realm. Some people, they get a little uh, indignant at the thought that, they're not, that there's never going to be a time when they can truly say, I am independent, or I am, I, am, I am free from all obligation or all allegiance, that I can be truly a self-contained, self-sustaining person can never happen. I was talking with a woman at work Friday as I was visiting the station over in Fort Myers and she was telling me about her situation with her mother. And she's, you know, she uttered those painful words. She said, you know, when I was young and little, she took care of me. But now I have to take care of her. There's no time in your life where you're not dependent, where you're not going to have to rely on the providence and the grace of your Creator. The earth is the Lord's and all those who dwell in. So if it is the Lord, if that is the king's dominions, then who are the king's subjects? This we need to understand. We need to understand very clearly. Who can ascend? Who can enter into? Who may stand before the king? If we are his subjects, and I was reading a little bit this week because of what happened with Queen Elizabeth. I was reading a little bit about the, the, the various kings and queens of England. And, uh, uh, you know, some of them were quite famous, quite notorious for the way they treated their subjects. And there was the, you know, the, 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 was the one with all the wives, King Henry VIII, I think. Henry VIII, you know, he had six or seven wives and, and he wasn't particularly, uh, he, he didn't believe in divorce. So he just, he just had them executed. When you're subject to the king, right? When you're the king's subject, you have to be very aware of and be very uh, 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 cognizant of what it takes 
to stand in right relationship to the king. These rebels, these wicked men, these, these evil uh, empires that rebel, they're still subjects of the king. They may be attempting now to break that, uh, that bond and break that covenant, but they will not be successful. But for those of us who want to be in the king's grace, come on, if he is the king, and if all belong to him, then doesn't it stand a reason we want to be in his good stead? Doesn't it stand a reason that it is better to be in the king's grace than to be object of his wrath? Whether or not you understand this, whether or not you believe it, you will answer to the king. So we must know what does it take to be considered a good subject of the king, to honor him rightfully, and for him to be pleased with us. The psalmist lays it out very plainly. Who may stand in his holy place? Who may ascend into his presence? Only those with clean hands and pure hearts, souls that are innocent of idolatry and mouths that bear no deceit. What is a clean hand? A clean hand is a hand that has not shed blood. A clean hand is a hand that is innocent of violence, innocent of, of abuse. I'll be careful when we come before the king because if we act in the king's authority if we act with the king's power, if we act with the king's grace at our backs, we better make sure that we are doing the king's work. Let me say it again. If we act with the king's authority, we better be about the king's business. There can be no mistaking that. How many have used the authority given to them by their king? Or let me say it this way. How many have misused? and abuse such authority? How many have been empowered by the king with privilege, with honors, with power, and misused and abused? I don't want to make too much out of this Queen Elizabeth business because I just don't know all the details. But the reports that I read is that she was, for the most part, not a perfect person, but she exercised her duties well. She represented her people well. And she did what was right uh, when she could. And I believe all of us should bear such a testimony. Whatever power or privilege that we have been given, whatever place we have been put, whatever influence we may have, whatever service we have been called on to render, let us do so with clean hands. Let us do so with a pure heart. Whether it is simply to serve in the church or serve in the family or go out into the world and do what it is that the king has commissioned us to do. If we intend to stand before him, we better be able to come back to him with a clean conscience, with a clean heart. How many today can say, I can stand before the king with a clear conscience? How many can say today, I did not lift up my soul? I did not... Make an idol out of my service. How many can say today that I eschewed, that I sacrificed earthly gain and earthly power, that I might be a good servant, a good instrument of the king's authority? 
There is a blessing, it says, in being a good subject. A reward from the king. How many of us, if we had had access to such power as a king or queen is able to render, would not have asked of them some blessing, some boon, some benefit from our relationship to them. A good king rewards his faithful subjects. A good king rewards those who serve him well. Jesus says of one day that will come, that he will say unto those who served him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over these few things on earth. Enter now into the joys of your rewards. A good king rewards his people. And what is the blessing that we can expect from the king that we serve? We can accept the blessing of his righteousness, the king's grace, the king's mercy, the king's salvation is ours. Well, praise God, church. If we had to appeal to our own merit, if we had to stand before this king on the volume of our own works and our own works alone, what could we possibly offer? What could we possibly lay at his feet as proof of our fidelity, as proof of our admiration and respect and worship? Thank God for the grace of the King. This is the generation, the psalmist says, of those who seek Him. There are two distinct kinds of people in the King's dominion. Those who seek Him diligently and those who try to hide from His face. In churches like this one today, you can see the difference. Those who've come out here today, those who've called in and listening in, they're seeking the King's face. They want to be in the King's presence. They want the access. They want the audience. When we say, open up your gates, we're inviting the King of glory. Oh, may God's glory, may the King's glory fill our lives. But as hard as it is to imagine, church, there are many who seek to hide from His presence. They're looking for a stone, a cave to fall on them, a mountain to hide them from His face. There are some who spend a majority of their life actively avoiding the King and all that He represents. There's a prodigal generation of those who hope to escape his notice, hope to avoid his oversight of their life. They think by going off to other places, they think distance itself is a protection. They think that some have this mindset that if if I don't bother him, he won't bother me. But notice if you're in the king's dominion, then you are his subject. You are his subject whether you choose to be or not. 
And He will have an accounting of all His subjects. Every man shall give an account of himself to the Lord. Every person shall give an account of themselves to the Lord. There is no hiding, no escaping His presence. You will face Him. You might as well seek Him now before He comes to find you. Those who hide from Him will be found. There was no hiding place. And so that sets us up for these closing verses. Which is how we are to respond to this idea that we live by the King's grace and that we live by His goodness and that we are His rightful subjects and owe Him an allegiance and an honor and a service. And that is to invite the king. I was uh, watching some old videos. Promise the last time I'll try to refer to the queen. But I was watching some old videos of when the queen would go on tour. Right? Could go to visit different places. Canada, Australia, different places. And I was watching some of the video of all of the I guess we'd call it the pomp and the circumstance, right? I mean, just the, the elaborate ritual, the elaborate ceremony that these nations would go through to welcome the queen into their country. What effort are we making as his subjects? What are we doing as his people to invite his presence into our lives and into what we're doing. I'm not talking about in the abstract. Oh, you say, well, God is everywhere and He's omnipresent. No, I mean not just invite His presence, but His glory. The tradition associated with this psalm is that it was the one that was sung as they entered, as they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. You remember the story how David decided he wanted to build the Lord a house. And the Lord told David, you're not going to be the one to build the house. But David, nevertheless, he brought the tabernacle and set it up on Mount Zion. And when all was prepared and all of the purifications and all of the rituals had been observed, they went to the house of Obed-Edom. And they picked up the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it to the city. You know the story. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And as they got near the city, he cried these words out, Open up your gates. Open up the doors. The King of glory, the Lord of all the heavens and the earth, is coming in to dwell among us. How many of us can say that we have invited the King's glory, the King's majesty and the King's authority into our lives? into our homes, and into our communities. Who is this King of glory, they would shout. He is the Lord strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Let's understand that, what they're talking about there. We need to get this part, because we miss it sometimes. 
The Lord strong and mighty in battle. If he wants in, he can come in by force. One day, he will reclaim this world by force. The Bible tells us, the glory of the Lord shall cover the whole earth. The whole earth. As the waters cover the sea. The glory of the Lord is going to fill it all. When He comes in His glory, when He comes in His might, when He comes in His power, there will be no wall high enough or thick enough or well defended enough to keep Him out. He is able, more than able, to take this world by force. But His preference is to be invited. Invited into the world and invited into His kingdom. I'm telling you today, church, for us to understand that we live at the pleasure of the King. We breathe at the pleasure of the King. We woke up this morning at the pleasure of the King. We will survive this day at the pleasure of the King. For us to assert that He is not welcome in His own house, in His own kingdom, in the world that He made, is an affront of the highest order. To say to the one who sustains our very life, you have no right, no place, you're not wanted, leave me alone, is to do the greatest insult to the Spirit of Grace. Knowing we are the king's subject and knowing we live under his dominion, there is only one adequate and acceptable response. Come in, king of glory. Come in, king of glory. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Come into this church. Come into our community. Come into our nation. Come into your world. We open up the gates. And we lift up the doors of our independence, of our self-sufficiency, of our pride and our ego. Some do not want the King of Glory because they fear His glory will outshine their own. Amen? We live in an age of self-glorification. Everybody's a star. Everybody's got a brand. Everybody's got a merchandise. Everybody's an influencer. Everybody's got a, a following. But I'm telling you, church, we have two choices. We can invite him in now. Or he can force his way in later. But he will reclaim this world you stand with me this morning? I've been really pondering this week what it means to live under the king's dominion. I've looked at my life through fresh eyes. 
I've looked at my life through the circumstances of my life. I'm as guilty as anybody of being a little self-centered sometimes. Of all the things that are going on in this world today, to know how many are in rebellion, to know where the world is heading. We sang about it in worship. Coming. I believe with all of my heart He's coming. The King is coming. And how He is going to deal with those who have shut up their hearts and insisted on having it their way and denying His authority. I don't know, church. I... I pray for mercy. I pray for mercy for all people. But my God, my prayer for us today is that we will be the Jacob generation that's spoken of in verse 6. We will be those who seek Him, who seek His face. Would you stand? Father, would you make us a Jacob generation? Would you give us a heart and a desire to see Your glory? First, in our own life. For if we do not let you into our own heart, if we do not open up the gates of our independence, open the, de- the, the, the doors of our defiance, if we do not make ourselves subjects by choice, then your glory cannot be displayed. Father, today I pray for the King of glory to come into our life. Let His glory fill our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. There is no escaping the realm on which He rules. So let Him rule over me. Let Him rule over us. Let Him rule over every aspect of our life. We invite the King of glory into this congregation. This is your temple, your house that you built. You chose these people, okay. You put them in this place at this time that your glory might go forth from this place. When people walk into this house, oh God, let them see the glory of the mighty King. Let them know that they've come under the dominion of a gracious and good and righteous King who does, who does right and upholds what is good and will care for them and sustain them and defend them. And then from this house, O oh God, let your glory fill this community, touching one life after the next, transforming one home, one place of business, after the next. Let your glory fill this community like the waters fill the ocean. Let it seep into every pore, every aspect of who and what we are as a people. Let the glory of the King of glory be visible far and wide. Let it be a light shining on a hilltop. Father, we pray for those who hide who think that their absence means that they have escaped 
purview of their king. Remind them that no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, they're still under his rule. There's nowhere they can go. There's nothing they can do. Father, I pray that you would bring those, change their hearts, change their minds, that they might once again be as those who seek the King of glory. Father, let your glory manifest in the radiance of our lives, clean hands, pure hearts, undefiled souls, mouths that speak unadulterated praise. This we pray in Jesus' name. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, We would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.